Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Good morning, Paul. How are you today? Doing well. Fantastic. Uh, As we were working through our technical difficulty challenges this morning with audio, I was actually um, uh, had time to uh, work on my uh, gamified savings. So every time I get a paycheck, I I think I've mentioned this in the past, I go through the process of uh, making sure that I I put a certain amount away and transfer it over from one account to another. Um, It's way different kind of reflecting back. When I used to do this years ago, um, it was really way different, whether I was taking physical cash and going from one bank to another on a Saturday morning. I think that's how it started. I would literally take money out of one bank, out of the ATM, and I would go to another bank and and deposit it, right? So it's it's amazing how far we've come that I could transfer money between two institutions seamlessly in less than, you know, 10 seconds, right? Wow. So it takes longer for me to write down the details and enter them into my various tools uh, than to actually transact. Uh, so I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, very, very neat. Yeah, just uh, the other day I went through our numbers. I did my quarterly review of the finances, the retirement planning and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I just finished that up actually last night. So it felt pretty good getting that done too. Yeah, the only thing I have pending now are the taxes. I'm usually done by now. But it just, I haven't had a chance to get my arms around them. But I think, I guess it's... You have an extra month now, right? Which one? You have an extra month now. Oh, is there? What is the date when they're due? I just assumed April. Maybe this is a good... No, they extended it again to, I believe, May 17th, thereabouts. Ah, good to know. Good to know. You see? See? Very cool. I'll have to jot that down so I could procrastinate more and do it (laughs) the week before. Yeah, if you didn't tell me, I would have had them done in April. Um, But no, no, all seriousness, uh, I need to get them done. Um, But yeah, we'll probably be talking about them in May at this point. So we'll we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, Today's topic is Reddit Personal Finance Random Topics. Now, we've done this a lot in the past and we have a lot of fun with it. And once again, we we jump into the realm of the personal finance group on reddit.com. And we take a number of random topics from Reddit and and from that channel and just riff on them, right? We look at what people have responded to and we try to just see what we would do if we were presented with that question. So um, that's something that uh, we always have fun with and I'm looking forward to. So, uh, But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. The first news story was from the New York Times, and I think my wife had forwarded this on to me. She always forwards me uh, stuff from the New York Times that smells like it could be used on the show. Um, And it's Can't Manage Your Money? There's a podcast for that. Uh, No financial question is too embarrassing, complicated, or lofty for these Money 101 podcasts. So it's great to see others doing what we're doing. Um, And I like the varied uh, topics and slants that they have as well. I have to be honest with you, um, I have not listened to these podcasts, but just reading through the article, they look interesting. Uh, The first two that they talk about is Journey to Launch and Millennial Money, and it really focuses on the FIRE movement, and we've talked about that in the past. So they're really for, I, I would say millennials, but as we talked about on the FIRE movement 
podcast a lot of the fundamentals that are part of the fire movement and i'm not going to go into them here but a lot of them are in line with what we talk about on the podcast all the basics so i really do think um it's probably worth giving them a listen at least one episode um and then there's a couple of other podcasts here uh the popcorn finance where this is an interesting one where the person talks about um, different topics over 10-minute episodes, and he's created 200 since 2017. So I thought that was kind of cool as well. And he talks about everything from student loan payment strategies to ethical financing, or I mean investing, to tiny house living. And then you have the Million Bazillion, which I guess this, I haven't read too much about this, but it sounds like it I'm it's really for like it little kids and yeah, it uh, looks like it's like kid related. Where, where the so. concept of money come from, things like that. Yep. So it it sounds interesting as well. Uh, we're trying to get ourselves on that list next time, everyone. So ho- hopefully we'll be there. But uh, you know, the more you tell everyone about it, hopefully we'll get a, a better shout out in that article next time. Yeah, absolutely. I was disappointed we didn't see us there, but never envious or jealous, just fascinated to hear about these other topics. Um, the fire movement is especially interesting. Uh, my friend Joji uh, introduced me to the fire movement. I had no idea what it was. Um, and then when I dove deep into it, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Uh, so listen back to that podcast. If you want to learn everything about the fire movement, um, or not everything, but if you want to hear a, a, our opinion of the fire movement, please go back to that podcast. So um, the second story that we're looking at today was with money, what you do matters more than what you know. And this is from Kiplinger. And even the smartest, most well-informed retirement savers can lose a boatload of money if they don't have their heads on straight. An interview with the author of The Psychology of Money reveals some interesting insights on how to build and maintain wealth. So this article, I read this this morning at the gym, and I actually own this book by Morgan Housel. It's sitting in my uh, next to my nightstand uh, along with a bunch of other books. <laughs> And, I, and it's an interesting book because it's you could read snippets of the book. You don't have to read everything in its entirety. Every chapter or every little section has its own life lesson, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, so I have read bits and pieces of it. But I guess for him, he, you know, the real focus that he talks about here is is having a plan and the difference between getting wealthy and staying wealthy and making sure you have um, control over your money. Um, Paul, what did you think of this article? So I, I thought the article was pretty interesting and really pretty neat. One thing, I, I took a quote out of the article here, Paul, that um, sort of resonated with me. You know, According to Housel, people who want to build long-term wealth need to learn how to nurture those skills separately. But getting rich requires some optimism and skill, he says, but staying rich requires pessimism. So it's around, you know, Okay, you know, investing strong, but making sure you have, uh, you know, your safety nets, your things like that. That's that's sort of what I took out of that, as well as keeping being skeptical, right? You can't mm. just be completely yeehaw here. It, it requires some skepticism. Um, I feel like I have plenty of that with the, with the market and investing. I always have, and that's probably why I have don't have more saved or or more in the. Um, in the market at times because I am a, a pessimist when it comes to that. I'm always afraid of how much I'm going to lose. So I only try and put in what I'm comfortable with potentially losing. So that, that, that was it. Yeah, and that that makes sense. I mean, when I was, I, I think that's a great pull from the article. So if you take anything away from that, 
um, it, it's probably that line. Um, I think everything else in here kind of talks about the other things that we've talked about in the past around, you know, handling your emotion. I think that was the other big thing is around emotion, right? So it's very emotional. It's very personal. So, and there's a soft behavioral side to investing that you have to know about and know when to not let the emotions get the best of you. Uh, he cites examples of people that, you know, pull out of the market as soon as it dips, stuff like that. So you have to be able to weather those storms. And I think we've talked about that in the past as well um so and, and made those mistakes absolutely yeah absolutely right? um i i think that the only time i made that i actually the only time it actually worked out for me where i tried to time the market i didn't try to do it so i had left one <laughs> job uh, i left uh, it's one kind of offshoot i left one job to go to another and uh, when I went to the new job, there was a waiting period before I could participate in the 401k. So um, when that time finally came, uh, which was August of 2001, um, I, I transferred my uh, 401k to another 401k. Um, and when I talked to the advisors on the, on the call or the operator, uh, she said, what do you want to do with the money? Uh, how do you want to break it up? And I said, you know what? I don't have time for this today. I'll get to it. Just put it all 100% government securities. And then oh, and 9-11 happened, right? And right. like the, the markets tanked and everything. So there was no genius level psychic thing going on. It was just pure laziness. I didn't have time to kind of deal with it. So I put it aside. And then um, I think later on that year, or, you know, uh, I, I started, you know, I flipped the money into equities. Um, I don't know if it resulted in a huge, huge gain, but I'm a big believer is you have to keep saving into um, and dollar cost averaging. I think it's more important to save than to invest. Um, I think that's kind of um, my mantra on it. And I think we've talked about that in the past as well. So, um, but with that, I think we'll jump on to the next weekly, uh, we'll jump into the weekly topic, right? Reddit, personal finance, random topics. And the first one, I'm just going to pull it up and we'll, we posted everything to the Facebook page so you could read along. Well, you're not going to read along because this is delayed tape, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, the first question is around 50. So the headline is 50 years old. Should I max out my employer's 401k or save cash for a house? So I'm 50 years old and trying to decide if I should max out my employer's 401k or save for a house down payment. And he goes through his situation, his or her situation, right? Zero investments. I have 15000 in cash on hand for emergencies. Nothing on my credit cards. One car payment. Need to replace a second car soon. We rent from my father. Um, we have young children, a young child with special needs. Single income as my spouse takes care of our child. Um, and we'd like a house with a yard and space for the child. So... It goes through some of the 401k pieces and stuff like that. Um, I, t I take a look at this and looking down the line at some of the responses, they, you know, they're all over the board, right? Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, they're all over. So I think for me, the house is probably at this point in his life, at least for me, I, you might disagree, Paul. I think the priority is to figure out to maybe get the house. Um, because, you know, you got the family situation, you know, you're, 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 I guess, I, you know, this is the only other thing. We rent my father's townhouse, right. which will become ours upon his passing. So I don't know whether the father's there with him or not. I, I don't know. Um, but that could have a bearing on my decision. 
Well, he says he's in his late 70s. Um, you know, that doesn't mean it's not going to be another 30 years. No, I meant it's the father there in the house with him. Yeah, no, that that we don't we don't know. Yeah, that I don't know. That would be my that would be a determining factor. But what jumps out at me here is the child, and and you have a wife that's taking care of a child with special needs, and I think that if the desire is to uh, have the child, you know, and and get some you know get some uh, yard space or whatever that is, it sounds like I would put the child first and foremost, and. For their situation, I, I think I would lean towards saving cash for a house. That would be my play. Um, but I think it depends on where you're coming from, and I think I would need more details around this story. It wouldn't be a – I couldn't make this snap decision completely based on just reading this this thing. I would want to talk with this person and dig deep into you know some more detail before I would pass my final judgment. But just based on the facts I'm seeing – I would say saving cash for a house would be ideal. See, uh, I, I was thinking a little differently, Paul. I'm thinking if you put the money into a 401k, all right, so you're still saving money, uh, or he could even split maybe some towards the house fund and some towards retirement. But if he's putting the money into a 401k, um, not a thousand percent sure on this, but you can withdraw from your 401k to buy a primary residence with minimal penalty. So in that case, you, you could almost do both. Yeah, I, I, I want to be right? careful with that. I, I mean, I I, this, because it, it, I don't it, know when you say minimal penalty, I thought it was the tax plus 10 percent. When you buy a primary residence, so I'll look it up again quick here, but I'm pretty sure when you're buying a primary residence, you have a little bit of additional flexibility. But, but even if that is not true, right, that's just, I'll say no. I still think, you know, putting some in for the retirement, you know, gentleman's at 50 years old and putting some towards the house is a nice balance between the two. Yeah, I want, yeah, I, I think we should probably look up that because I don't, I don't think that's the case. I don't think you can okay. use, I don't, unless they've changed the rules beca- recently, um, you know, any withdrawal before 59 and a half is subject to your current tax rate plus 10% penalty. That's what I was always aware of. I know, um, so that's something we would have to check out. I, I would, once again, this is why we would have to dig deep. Um, if that is the case, that's a great option. I just don't think that's something that they can do. Um, I think that um, the, the, the um, you know, the wild card here for me is is if you're in a place that is comfortable and you're, you know, like this townhouse. I, that's why I wanted to see whether he was living with his dad or not, right? Because living with parents could be up, you know, could be good and bad, right? And 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 I think that certain people can do it, and because I know people who have, and I and I know I could tell you personally, I would not be able to. It'd be very challenging for me to live with even my parents, you know, in the house, right? Uh, either whether it was my in-laws or my own parents, it would be very challenging for me. I just don't know if if it would if it would work. So, but I know people have done it very successfully. So it all depends, right? So I, I think we beat up this this story a lot. Just to kind of recap, um, I think we're sort of splitting the middle here. I, I still think cash for the house is probably ideal. They, he could split the payment between the two. Um, I would have to have more details in order to give this person a more, more sound advice from my side. But 
um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just still go with my my gut and, and say that you know save for the house and and uh, hopefully uh, by the time you're 60 you're well into your mortgage and um, you know you could still go back to saving to your 401k. Yeah, it looks like a 10 uh, percent early withdrawal penalty, but uh, you'd have to check that out. But well, no, that's it's 10 percent plus the tax rate. Yeah, so it, that's what it is. So so it is the standard. So if you're in a 25% tax bracket and you add $100,000, you would have to pay 25,000 in tax and on that 100 you would pay 10,000. So you'd pay 35,000 out of that 100,000 to the government. That's how that would work. So so it could. So you could use your 401k money for the withdrawal and and we've talked about that in the past. Uh, with Jody, Jody, uh, there's if you go back to some of the old episodes, I forget which one it's in, but Jody talked about doing that exact same thing to start his business, and he has no regrets. So, if you have a sizable 401k and that's something that you want to really think about, you could do that, right? You could take the 10% penalty hit and just go for it. Um, it once again, it, it's a it's personal finance, so you have to figure out what's best for you. Um, the second story, let's open up the link here. Best financial gift for a one-year-old nephew. My nephew's first birthday is coming up, and I would love to gift him some kind of financial gift to help him with in the future. But I'm not really sure what the best option is. It seems the two most common gifts are treasury bonds and 529 contributions. Um, I'm hoping that by gifting something financial, I will also subconsciously encourage his parents to save for him. So I'm thinking 529 might be the way to go. So it's a very interesting crack on on the other parents, right? So I'm guessing yeah, sure. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a, like uh, they don't save anything. Yeah, okay. yeah. We could we could read right through these storylines, right? And and I think that uh, when I read this, this is a tough one for me, and I'm going to tell you why. Because I I sort of experienced something similar. Um, I tried to do something for my niece and nephew, and I tried to. Um, keep up with it on a regular basis and sadly I just wasn't able to time got away from me and it just it just slipped away right so um that being said I, I was able to provide my niece and nephew um a little bit of of money that was put aside and I, they appreciated it um when they graduated high school and and so it helped them in some small way and I was glad I could do something but it, it's it's a slippery slope when it comes to dictating what people should do with their money, right? So for me, if I'm going to gift the kid, my one-year-old nephew, money, I would just, I probably would give the money to the parents. Um, treasury bonds, bonds, stock, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I guess it still works the same way. They're probably digital now. They're forgotten about. There's so many times that bonds just get forgotten. 18 years later, you forget that you even got him for his first birthday, right? So I'm not sure how well that goes. And you got to kind of track it in perpetuity. And then 529 contributions, if you're going to go through the, the, you know, setting up certain paperwork to go do that on your nephew's behalf, which you could do, which you can do. But then, you know, you're going to own that bank account until that person's 18, until they go to college. And, you know, it, it's going to be more work for you. So for me, I my, disagree. It's really not more work. Mm, yeah, 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 the statements it's are done. coming through and stuff like that. So I'm just going to go with my answer which would be if you're going to gift them a couple of hundred bucks, just give it to the parents and trust they'll do something with it that makes sense, right? And if the parents need the money to eat, 
so be it, right? I mean, that's the other thing where, you know, if the parents are, um, um, you know, in, in, you know, look, you know, years down the line, if the money gets used to, to maintain and feed the kid, um, that's not a bad thing either. I just think for me, the cleanest, I'm going to use the word cleanest way, simplest way is to just, you know, give the kid the money, right? Give the money to the parents for the one-year-old and, you know, uh, hopefully they do the right thing with it. Yeah, I'm going to uh, disagree with you on this one here, Paul. Uh, uh, personal experience here, we had a friend of the family gift the kids when they were born some stocks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as they got older, we were able to talk to them about that and talk to them about investing and, and doing stuff. And and right now, you know, when they get birthday monies or income from their internships, they're right away splitting some to savings, checking, and investing. Uh, they both have various investing accounts. Um, so it was actually, I, I can draw their investing desire back to that. that. When they found out they had their own stocks and everything, and they learned about it in high school and such as well. When they found out about that, they got very excited, and, and it was really uh, amazing to them. So. The custodial count was wonderful for them. Uh, if these parents have trouble saving, you know, again, we don't know if they, you know, just like to spend all their income because they like to spend it or they are, you know, down on their luck and, and, you know, having trouble with money. It doesn't sound like that. It just sounds like they tend to spend. And in that case, uh, I also think of 529 could be really beneficial. Because it's there, it's uh, and it's not even a slight on the parents. It's just a way to help save. And then this individual, maybe every year they want to contribute to that 529 for this child. So I, I, I'm leaning towards a 529 or a or a brokerage type account or something like that. Yeah, I think the brokerage account is is an interesting one. I see some some comments in the stories here. I, I think that's an interesting path. There's also the standard bank account that you could open for the kids, the UTMA accounts, right? Um, yep. For minors. Uh, but that doesn't do anything, right? It, nope. You put the hundred dollars there in 18 stuff. years, they'll have a hundred dollars and 10 cents, right? So there's yeah, no, right. no lift there, right? Um, you could open up a mutual fund on their behalf, right? If you wanted to invest into mutual funds or like you said, a brokerage account. So that could be done. I guess the only thing that for me I've seen is that, you know, if you're going to open up the account, the 529 or the custodial, you, you, you own that with them, right? Like you're opening it up on their behalf. I'd have to look and see how that works. But if, if I'm the uncle, and I want to gift Disney stock, for example, to my nephew, I have to open up that account on their behalf. I have to get their social security numbers and get all that information, right? And then I am going to be the owner of that account for 18 years until they are um, of age, right? I, I think I like where your thoughts are with this, Paul, so you may have turned me. I think the only thing I might try to do is maybe if this is for my nephew, I would have a conversation with the parents to say, listen, I, I'd like to, you know, give the kid a couple of hundred bucks, but, you know, do you have a 529 account that I can contribute to and, and place it in there and if you, you know, and, and see if there's something or maybe they can open it in anticipation. I'd like to start the kid off. So, you know, do you want to open up a 529? Just give me the account number and I'll put the money in. I, I think the premise that you have is great. Um, where, you know, and it's a great, it's a great 
teachable moment for the kids to take a look and look at the stock grow. And I think that's wonderful. So I think you turned me there, Paul. I just worry about the administrative aspects of it. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but I had Utma accounts for my niece and nephew. And it just, it was a very kind of, it, it was always kind of there. It was always, in, you know, paperwork was showing up for it. And it's not a big, big deal. But no, I think you're making a big deal, bigger deal mm, out of it than this. No, no, but it, you, but I just want to point out to people that you you are owning it. You are owning it, right? So if you have it and you're starting it on their behalf, you own it. Yeah, I so believe. the custodial accounts for our kids, you know, when they were created by the by this gentleman, uh, close friend of the family, everything came to our our house as his parents, as their parents. It wasn't going to his house. He put in. He asked us for his social security numbers. Told us what he was doing. Like very generous of him. Thank you. And um, he set up the accounts under their names, their socials. But with you as the custodian. Yeah. That's different, right? So for me, I was owning. So he had. You're right. He had no. There's no worries, right? Right. That, that's. But I, I guess that's why there's different ways to do it. So that's another way to do it. Another approach is to. These people, this for this nephew, right? He could go to the parents and say, "Hey, I want to open up a 529. Give me all the information. I'll open it up, but you'll own it." So I agree with that. Yeah, if if that's the case, let's split the middle. Yep, I think that's a great solution. Where if you're gonna work with the parent, open up. And I'm glad we unpacked this and we had some dialogue going back and forth because you definitely turned me, Paul. And now I think I have a different answer, which is great. So for me, whether it's an UPMA account, 529, whatever that is, I would work with the parents to say, hey, I'm going to invest X amount of dollars into a 529 or I'm going to buy stock. But I need your details and the kids details because I want to put this in your name so you can manage it with your kid. Yep. So that would be my takeaway. So that's the answer. So uh, if, if uh, I think it's K-F-I-T-T-T was the person who posted it. Um, if you ever hear this by any kind of coincidence, that's the way we would approach it. Um, <laughs> you, could, you could put the money in, but put the details and open up the accounts with your, uh, with your brother or sister-in-law, whatever the combination is, and let them take ownership of it. And you step away from it. Okay, great. Um, the next... Let's take a look here. The next, I'm just clicking. Yep. Buying uh, a car, is it better to finance the car or pay cash? Yes, yes. So um, we could read through the context here. I recently won a personal injury settlement. Uh, in my state, these types of lawsuits aren't taxed, so I'll get the full amount. The full amount is enough to get a brand new high-end car. However, I am a teen about to graduate and head to college. I've never had a car before. I, we should stop the article right there. Um, so I've decided <laughs> I will be I will buy a used car at around or below 8K from a local dealership as I don't need a new and higher end car. And I'll be traveling a short distance to college and work. Whew. Okay, good. Yeah, so, um, so that would have been a rant that, too. yeah, that yeah. would have been an ugly rant by both very two very old financial dads about that one. Um, I, I think, you know, we could read through this. It's kind of a long story, but I, I you know, you get in this injury settlement. I'm going to assume it's, you know, I'll assume it's, uh, you know, 20 grand. Just throw a number out there. 
let's say, are sixteen grand, and you want to spend eight on a car and put eight away. Well, he said a high-end car, so I, I'm going to say he's getting, you know, seventy grand. In, in well, my mind. yeah, but he switched gears, right? So now he wants to buy. Right, but then he wants to buy a used car, an 8K for eight K car. So is he going to finance that car or pay it out in cash? And I would say, pay it in cash, right? So I, that I mean for eight K, but. If you kind of back that in a little bit, I, I mean, if you could buy, this is my general rule of thumb, it, you should be buying cars for cash if you can, right? That's the key. I mean, so if, you know, if you're, if you're saving your money, part of your savings, whether it's an emergency fund or whatever, you want to be working towards buying your next car, right? So most people start out, if they're going to buy a new car, they finance it, um, but and, and that's okay, right? Um, but I think, and within reason, I think, yeah, that's a loaded question, right? Um, but I think that going forward, it's probably best if you can pay cash for the car, just pay cash for the car, avoid the financing. But in this particular case, for an $8,000 car, I would not see this person financing it. I don't see any benefit to financing it. Paul, what's your what's your take on this story? So when, when I bought my... Uh my 2009 car that I'm, I'm looking at in my driveway here. I, I still have it. Uh, it was um, it was interesting. You know, I, I shopped around a little bit, and you know, I was telling people I want to buy it, and like, okay. And then I said, well, I actually want to finance it, and the numbers it seemed to get a better number by doing the financing of it because they that's where they make a lot of money. They make money on those interest payments that you're paying. So you're financing it through the dealership and things like that. So what I did was uh, I actually think one of the people in the comments put this in there as well. I told them I'm financing it, and I did. And then the first payment came, and I paid it off. So I got the best deal possible. I paid one month of interest on it and paid it off, and I saved, you know, saved myself some money over the course of the long term of the loan as well as direct value of the vehicle yeah that's a good call out right so i think you're correct um getting the best deal on the cars first and foremost um and just making sure you do your homework right to make sure there's no prepayment penalty um, all those types of things that's Um, a huge call out paul yeah there's no prepayment penalty not just on an auto on your home if you're buying a home you always want to make sure there's no prepayment penalty because they could really get you on that, and, and most lenders, uh, reputable reputable lenders, don't do that, but they they do. They, it's out there. Yeah, and and a big shout out to Mike Gabriel. He used to be my mortgage guy. I know Paul, you used him as well over the years. Um, he, I would always ask him that question, and he, it was always the same yep, answer. Me too. <laughs> yep. But I would always ask him that question. Right. It's like when I go to get my hair cut and 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 the guy, you know, cuts the top of my head. And after I finish, I always ask him the same dumb question. Is it if you cut it anymore, it'll it'll kind of stick up. Right. And he just kind of smiles at me. Right. Like 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 he's been doing it for 20 years. Like I'm trying to, you know, contradict the expert. You know, he knows how I'm doing it. But it was the same thing with Mike. I'm like, Mike, there's no prepayment penalty here just in case. You know, no, Paul, it's in there. Don't worry. You know, and and so um, but, you know, it's just something to think about. But, yeah. Yeah, getting the best deal first and foremost and then paying in cash. So we're both in agreement, right, fundamentally. Yep. Um, I think uh, making sure that, you know, you have the money in hand to buy the car. I think that's the key here. So um, and whether that's a 
an eight thousand dollar car or you're going higher in the car, um, you know, if you're if you're financing a car, you're probably buying a car above where you need to pay for it, right? Like if 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 you can't afford to buy the car for cash, you're probably buying something that might be out of your price range, right? Now people will violently disagree. Yeah, I will disagree with you on some of that, Paul. It depends on the interest rates and what you're doing with your money otherwise. Right. Yeah, I, I, I go back to the story I've told with in, in past podcasts, you know, where I, I bought like, uh, you know, I bought a big stupid TV with no money down and it was 0% financing. But, you know, you miss a payment, the snakes will come biting, right? And it doesn't have to be your fault. And you'll have to go fight. Oh, well, you know, the bank screwed it up and, you know, it just becomes problematic, Right. So I, I think that I know where you're going with zero percent financing and some of these other things. Um, just be very careful and know the rules going in. Right. You know, uh, once again, in a lot of consumer accounts, you miss a payment, whether it's your fault or not. You're you're liable for back interest up to, you know, a certain percentage amount. Cars are a little different, but you just got to do all your homework. Right. So if 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 you're comfortable with a zero percent financing and the rules of the engagement are fine and there's you know there's there's a certain amount of room that if you miss a payment or late for a payment you won't be severely penalized just just do your homework so i i'll kind of defer that to you paul if you've had a different experience with it i just when i got my first three pc richards bills and i saw the daunting you know uh percentage rate of 22 percent if something was missed i just paid it off Well, yeah, I I understand that, and that was a credit card, um, which is different. But just you said it yourself, Paul. Do your homework. Know what you're getting into, and that's where you can either save the money and make additional with that money, or get burned, as you said. So understand what you're getting into, and with today's electronic banking and being able to schedule payments automatically, it makes it a lot easier and a lot less likely to have a problem if you are setting up something like that. Yeah. I mean, so, one, one last word on that. You're right. The okay. risk is low, but the risk is there. So well, I, you well, know, the risk is, the risk the is, risk there, is there out in the middle of the street, man. Understood. The Understood. The but there's still there, risk so. that that payment somehow gets, misaligned and now you're you're digging into why it got misaligned and now you're going back and forth between your bank and the car financing and if you have the cash just buy the car <laughs> that's my yeah, that was so my I think that's another, my take another on another topic we're going to disagree on it depends on the rates that you're getting on, on that loan yep yep no and we'll we'll agree to disagree here um on <laughs> that one so the next story, uh, let's see here. Should your emergency fund include the amount of your next credit card payment? Hmm. Let's say I have 15K saved in emergency fund. However, every month I pay my credit card in full for $1,000, which covers the previous month's expenses. Does this mean I should actually save 16K in the emergency fund to take out and take into account the $1,000 credit card bill? Uh, the way I see it, if you treat your credit card like a debit card and only spend money that you actually have, then the 15K fund with a 1K credit card bill is worth only 14K. I might be overthinking it. Um, yeah, the general consensus, and I'm going to agree, is this person's overthinking. Yeah. Um, and this is this is part of the cost of doing business. If you're treating it like a debit, I, I think this is splitting hairs here. Um, we've said this in the past. I, I, for me, the emergency fund can't be big and fat enough. 
but you know, if you want to get technical on here, 15k is fine. Uh, the thousand would be part of your monthly expenditure anyway. Um, if you're more comfortable saying 16k in your emergency fund, that's fine. Um, I thought the the question was going to go in a different direction um, in terms of that the person has like, you know, I have 15,000 saved and I have 20,000 in credit card debt. And that's a whole other yeah. different conversation. But this person's using the credit card like I use the credit card. So for yeah. me, it's just part of the cost of doing business. It's part of my monthly expenditure. So, Paul, what was your take on this story? I felt the same way. It's splitting hairs. And quite honestly, if they're that uncomfortable with it, just just save the extra thousand dollars then. Right. Uh, as long as you're not incurring interest on the monthly expense to do that, um, I, I really didn't see any anything here. You're, you're splitting hairs. It's it's um, kind of kind of whatever because he's paying it off like a debit card every month. So it, it just it's just cash flow in and out. Yeah, and I think it calls out the importance of the emergency fund. We I think we did a whole episode on that at one point. Um, and there's different rules of thought, right? We'll kind of just talk about this for a second and kind of revisit this topic. So uh, some people say three months of, uh, of expenses. Some people say six months. Uh, some people say one year. I, I think after seeing COVID, uh, most people would agree that uh, it's probably six months to a year's worth of expenses um, to be on the safe side uh, rather than three months. Three months might be too short given what we're seeing. Um, but, you know, I, people might disagree with that. Um, I, I like to sleep well at night knowing that there's, you know, if something, God forbid, happens, um, there's enough in the emergency account to, to cover us for a little while uh, at least uh, to be able to get my head settled and, and, and try to get back on track. But Paul, what's your take when it comes to the emergency funds? So uh, actually I was going to ask a question right back at you, Paul, with that, you know, one, I, I do agree. Uh, emergency fund is great. Uh, I've always been trying to keep in mind the six months year or so for an emergency fund. So my question to you, Paul, is, is that emergency fund just cash in the bank or do you have some of it cash and some of it in investments? No, pure cash. Pure cash. Yeah, pure okay. cash. Yeah, it, it, it's got to be immediate. You know, immediate liquidity. That's a known quantity, right? So that to me, but but yeah. that's not. It, it doesn't. That's just my answer. Other people will do other things. I guess my my fear is that you know if I have you know uh, five thousand dollars in Apple. And when I go to take the money out in two weeks and it might be down to 4500 it's not really cash, right? Where I know if I have 5000 in the bank, I could count on that 5000 being 5000 So that that's where I come from, 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 my, you know, from that headspace. Okay. All right. I, uh, I have it split. That's what I've done. So yeah, and I, I don't think there's a, a good or bad way to do it. As right. long as you could get to the money... Um, and, and, and it's, and it's, you know, you could reasonably rely up, um, upon the amount that's in there. Um, I think that's, that's great. Once again, I, I go to the other side of risk where, you know, markets, you know, you had 20,000 in an emergency fund, 10 in cash, 10 in stock. Um, something happens, that stock gets cut in half. Now you got 5,000 and you lost your job, right? And now you needed that emergency fund. You don't have the 20. Right, you have 15 to play with, right? Rather than the 20 if you had had it in cash, right? So that's kind of where I my head always goes to is kind of the risk factor. Right. 
Right. It's all about your risk tolerance, Paul. Right. What, what is your risk tolerance for, for all these things? That's what it all comes down to. Yep. And your, your risk tolerance is, um, shall I say it nicely, uh, extremely low. Right. 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 I, I think I'm maybe more of middle of the road. And there are people who are just all in. Right. So. Right. Right. And I, And once again, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer here. Right. Because people that are all in, some of them do extremely well. Right. And they always throw caution to the wind and they're always um, seem to come out on top. Right. Maybe not. All, maybe not everybody who does that. But, you know, everyone lives it a different way. Um, you know, so I think that it, it really comes down to to me, it comes down to balance as well. Like I'd prefer to have enough in the emergency fund and then whatever's left over invest. And that will grow over time. Um, and, and so there's different ways to do it. But I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here when it comes to the emergency fund. Um, I just think, um, you know, having enough to cover six months to a year would probably be ideal. But if you can only do three months, that's fine, too. But have a fund. I think that's the most important. If you don't have a fund today, start saving for an emergency fund. I think that's key. So Absolutely. I think the last question we have here is, should I invest in index funds? I am 31 and currently unemployed. I have about 30K in savings account, no debt. My income has always been less than 24K a year. My bills are minimal. I'm trying to find out if I should save, should invest in an index fund or something else for retirement. Um, you know, and I think the, the comments here are, are telling um, because, you know, we're talking about someone who's unemployed who's now wants to invest into the stock market i think there's bigger fish to fry for mr grieving inc um who posted this but so from my opinion if you're you know if he was employed and he had 30k in savings and no debt mm, i would probably say okay you want to dip your toe into investing into mutual funds and the index funds s&p 500 dow jones uh, tech fund whatever that is you know do your homework do your research you know, look at the vanguards of the world, look at the fidelities of the world, um, do, you, do your homework and invest. But you're unemployed. Uh, to me, that's time out. We got bigger fish to fry. Let's let's stop worrying about investing into index funds and worrying about getting a job. And then we'll revisit this topic later. Um, what's your take on this? Um, uh, so uh, question? Th this one was interesting to me. I sort of had my trouble getting my head around that he's got 30K in savings, but makes less than 24 a year. And unemployed I'm like just having trouble wrapping my head around some of that um, I, I guess he lives well within his means uh, which is a tribute to this individual right because uh, there's no way you'd have 30k in savings uh, 30 years old with making less than 24 a year unless you're staying well well within your means or he's living in so, mom and dad's basement but that's still within your means Right? <laughs> that's a right. okay a whole other topic okay that's got it got topic. it but he's still he's putting his name his on the meat. orange juice maybe mom you <laughs> drank all my orange juice you know like i just I mean, we, we we don't know right yeah maybe, we don't know he's we're, we're really inferring a lot juice. i don't here. know but that so i i just had a little trouble sort of getting my head around this a little bit but i agree with you i think that the bigger thing here is the uh you know the unemployment you know and maybe that's by choice. We we don't know that he just does things he can every once in a while to keep some money coming in and just and is happy and content with that. And and if he is, then maybe the answer changes a little bit. Yeah, that's you know, interesting because that's part of the the the, the coast fire of, movement. 
Right. Where you kind of work for a little while, you save a bunch of cash, then you coast till the money's almost gone, and then you get a job again. And you do that for a little while, and then you coast again, right? So (laughs) maybe that's what he's doing. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But I I did have trouble wrapping my head around this one for a little while. So, uh, yeah, that's definitely a different one. Well, um, well, it's it's interesting now that I'm reading. De- ah, so you know, you got. I guess I got to learn how to read closer. So Grieving Inc. has been responding in the comments. So let's let's chase this down a little bit. About two to three hundred a month are my expenses. No kids, no debt. I will be attending school soon as well. And then once again on another thing, I live with my parents. Called for my ins- called for my insurance and had them reduce my car insurance. And nowhere, uh, so nowhere to go. So no gas to pay for. Um, my hobbies consist of self-help therapy to fix my mental illness. So, okay, so lots of things to unpack here, right? Um, I know we're, we're, you know, I hope now I hope Grieving Inc. isn't listening to us. I just now, I'm, you know, he's, he's dealing with a mental issue. God bless my friend. Um, that's tough. I, I could, you know, so that's something you got to kind of deal with um, and, and work through. So, uh, but, you know, there, uh, there's a lot here. But I think my answer remains the same. Um, he has bigger fish to fry, bigger problems to deal with than worrying about taking this 30K and putting it into index funds. He's got school to start, might have to pay for school. There's a whole bunch of things here that we just don't know enough about um, to kind of unpack. Uh, Paul, I'll let you have the last word on this story. Well, I didn't beat up on the guy, right? So I did. I'm feeling okay with that. <laughs> I did. <laughs> but, Mr. Orange Juice, name on the orange juice in the fridge guy. <laughs> Um, so um but it it sounds like he's actually trying to to get his life together here which is great uh i i don't know if i'd put the money in an index fund it's fairly safe maybe again i'd split it put some in and keep some as on hand for cash and again he's going to school to get an education which is wonderful and then this way he has again that emergency fund that's where i'm stuck uh I would keep a lot of that probably for my emergency fund, especially with the current yeah, situation I, for what we know. Agreed. I think I think the majority in the emergency fund is probably the, the best way to go. So, um, well, with that, Paul, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that... This is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.